not your typical Sunday fare. Let's talk about mockery. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man who reaps what he sows, or pardon me, a man reaps what he sows, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh, will reap, ouch, destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Here's the good part, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Mockery is uh, mockery is ugly. Mockery is dark. Mercury is excruciatingly painful. Mockery is not from God. Mockery is a dishonoring attitude. It shows low estimation. It shows contempt. It shows hostility toward something or worse, someone. So let me ask you a question. Ready? Have you ever been mocked for your Christian faith? Have you ever been called narrow-minded or fanatical? Have you ever been called judgmental, puritanical, medieval, Neanderthal, or any of a whole bunch of other kind of insulting words, insulting titles that people would like to pin to you for your Christian faith? We, uh, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be uh, shocked. We, we really shouldn't be. We shouldn't be shocked um, when non-Christians mock our belief system, our Christian faith. Let me... Um, let me indulge you here with a, with a family story. Just last week, my uh, 10-year-old granddaughter, Ella, she is one of my six princesses, because I got six of them. But she's the oldest one, and I love her so much. I love her so much. 
I would lay down in traffic for Ella. I would do anything to protect that precious girl. Get it? Those of you who have grandchildren or, or children, you know exactly the sentiment of my heart when I say that. Uh, she and her dad, my son, were reading Psalm 139 together at bedtime. And once they'd read it through, her dad asked her, is there, is there anything in that psalm, Ella, any, any particular line, any particular word, is there, is there something that, that, that lit up for you, something that stands out? And because it's a psalm, right, 139, it's a good one. You guys are pretty familiar with it. It's a psalm that talks a lot about how perfectly God knows us because he created us. He knows every detail of us. He loves us so much. All true. So, you know, Zach's naturally thinking that um, she's going to make a comment about, boy, God sure is good and sure loves me a lot. But instead she said that, that what stood out to her was the line that said, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And so, you know, Zach kind of thought, well, interesting, it's there, it's God's word, all right. And so they prayed about what that meant. Alan went to sleep. Got up in the morning, Ellen went to school. And that day, she was placed in a discussion group with her classmates. And during the discussion, she was asked, what do your parents do? And so she told them what her mom does. And then she told them that her dad is a pastor at a church. And then the next question was, so, 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 you, so you're a Christian? And she said, yes. And then the hilarity ensued. laughing long and hard in the face of my 10-year-old granddaughter that I would lay down in traffic for. Agonizingly would not end. Here's the good part. That conversation she'd had with her dad the night before, 
the Holy Spirit. If you ever wonder if he's real and active, one of those moments shows himself. Holy Spirit had perfectly pre prepared her for her first experience at being mocked for her Christian faith. And she knew that King David endured it. So I asked Zach, I said, so how was, her, did she go to school the next day? You know, this happened like on a, on a Tuesday. He said, oh yeah. And she said, she got up like nothing had happened. She went to school that day. She went to school the next day. She went to school the next day. Finished out the week, no problem. I love that, you guys. I love that. Ella knows who she is because Ella knows who Jesus is. And Ella knows that Jesus loves her. And if we, all right, here, hey, if we are mocked for our faith, actually, let, let me just change that up. When, uh, if you've got one, when we are mocked for our faith, we would do well to remember that we are in the finest company. There are few things, I, I don't know what better really, there are few things that identify us with Jesus like being mocked for our belief in him. Jesus was uh, mercilessly mocked, right? When he was arrested, stripped naked, scourged, had his beard humiliatingly pulled out before uh, being interrogated and then hung, nailed to a cross with this this placard hung above his head announcing, here is the king of the Jews, this bloodied, battered mess. Ha, ha, ha. And Jesus warned us. Jesus warned us. I think we have a scripture slide. You guys can read this with me. Jesus warned us that people would hate us because we follow him in John 15. If the world hates you, if the world hates you, and hear this for yourselves, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This is the high cost of being a disciple. When we embrace Christianity, guys, when we embrace Christianity, we give up the hope of ever being really popular. 
You hear that? Kiss it goodbye. If you embrace Christianity. It's crazy to, to expect that people who have not had a personal encounter with Christ to, you know, to applaud our belief system or, or affirm our morality. It's not going to happen. Rather, we should expect, expect, as Peter taught in 2 Peter 3.3, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. They will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And simply put, simply put, a common characteristic, a common characteristic of this fallen world is mockery. So now back. Back to Galatians 6, 7, our, our key passage, our first passage which tells us that God cannot be mocked. We read that. God cannot be mocked. But that doesn't mean that people won't try. Um, Unbelievers often mock God. Take his name in vain, attack the Bible, Ridicule Christ's bride, that's us, the church. Godless media types, you notice that? That they tend to mock. Uh, Atheist professors, never had any of those. Um, Social re-engineering activists, which kind of surround us, I think they kind of outnumber us these days. unregenerate entertainers. Boy, they're funny. Ha ha. Hmm? Saturday Night Live just did a thing they, where they mocked one of the Christian movies. I can't remember which one it was, but oh, great fun. I think the God is not dead one. They relentlessly poke. At the notion of a creating, loving, sovereign God and his, his scriptural claims for you, his scriptural claims for this world. But this is um, this isn't this isn't news. This isn't news, or new, to our times. It's been going on since ancient days. And if if I could cast your thoughts back for a second here, to the early church, we're reminded of a we're reminded of a mocker of the highest order. A man named Saul, who after being reclaimed as Paul ironically, authored the words, God cannot be mocked. 1 Timothy 1, 3-16, Paul gives us some background on himself. He writes, 
even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But, get around this now, you guys. But, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. I repeat, immense patience. As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's, um, Paul's pre-conversion life as Saul. I just, I just encourage you guys to go read this stuff again for yourself. Who this guy was. Was. It was terrifying. It was terrifying for the for the bride of Christ, for the church. Terrifying. For no crime, real or pretended, only that, only that they had believed in Jesus and embraced the gospel, Saul hunted them down. That's not too strong of a term. He went out of his way. He traveled far and wide. He did not give up. He was relentless, hunted them down. Men, women, children, babies. This guy was ruthless, and he was brutal. The scripture that talks about and how they, and then they threw them in jail. Well, you know why they threw them in jail? Because there were so many of them. He had caught so many that they couldn't just immediately take them to before the Sanhedrin. So they had to put him in jail. He was really good at what he did. And those Christians, they were, they were, they were feeble. In other words, not able to fight back. They were scattered. They were unarmed. They were unprotected by any kind of civil power. Nobody was, nobody was watching out for them. Nobody. And therefore, they were exposed to the full rage of hideous and hostile persecution. I don't think we can really even get around that. And Jesus... I love this, you guys. And Jesus, as you may recall, took that rather personally. 
Then one day, uh, in a rather dramatic fashion, he knocks Saul to the ground. And this would have been kind of fun to watch. He knocks Saul to the ground, and, and he blinds him. And you know what? And just as a sidebar, right? Just as, just as a, a, a you know, thought over here. Mockers of God everywhere. You know the present day ones? Would, uh, would do well to remember that, that, that knocking people to the ground dramatically is a, uh, it's a, it's a limited use option that God still holds in reserve. Asterisk. And then upon the, uh, the takedown on the Damascus Road in Acts 9-4, Jesus asked, Jesus asked, oh, to hear these words, right? Jesus asked, asked Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? And then with emphasis, Jesus kind of goes on and lets Saul know you're unbelieving, rebellious, and persecuting life not only makes a mockery of my followers, it makes a mockery of me. Zing. Yet Paul tells us, this is so remarkable, you guys. This is so remarkable. Paul tells us in Galatians 1.15 that he had been set apart by God for his apostleship since before he was born. Head shake. It means that all of his life up to that point of his conversion was one long abuse of God. One long rejection and mockery of Jesus. Who had chosen him to be an apostle before he was born. His, uh, his conversion is an immense, an absolutely immense demonstration of Jesus' patience. So now buckle up, okay? Buckle yourselves in right now. Because we're going to turn a corner here. Buckled up. Mary, you buckled up. Mary, 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 you buckled in, buckled in, <laughs> she's buckling in, okay, here it is, Jesus extends that same, that same patience to us. because we need it too. And you might say to me, I might say to myself, 
wait a minute. Extending that to me? Um, why? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. That would seem uh, a bit harsh for what Paul was asserting there to be attributed to me. So let me explain. Because we need to understand this. why we are in need of Jesus' patience in the same regard. See, it's, it's easy. It's really easy. It's too easy. It's easy for us as, as believers, Christians, okay, to point the finger outside the church, you mockers of God. But the most, okay, again, buckle. But the most subtle mockery of God and the most dangerous. comes from church-attending people. Who are guilty of mockery. When we behave, listening? When we behave with an outward show of spirituality or godliness, without an inward engagement or change of heart. Charles Finney, great American preacher in the 1800s. This is a great quote, you guys. Listen to this. He wrote about the effects of mocking God. He said, to mock God is to pretend to love and serve him when we do not. To act in a false manner, to be insincere and hypocritical in our profession, pretending to obey him, love, serve, and worship him when we do not. Mocking God grieves the Holy Spirit and sears the conscience, and thus the bands of sin become stronger and stronger. the heart becomes gradually hardened by such a process. And the danger, and the danger with pretending that we are obeying God and allowing our hearts to drift to drift away from him is that a drifting heart We'll always find a rebellious destination. Count on it. A drifting heart will always find a rebellious destination. 
and when I'm honest with myself, okay? When I'm honest with myself. Disclosure moment. When I'm honest with myself or, or this, this is even tougher, or on the rare occasion when I let others, and the church said, ouch, when I let others honestly assess me. It all becomes clear just how easily and quickly my heart can drift from God. And I would assume, I think safely, I would assume all of you understand that, that, that gravitational downward pull because it's common to man. Apostle John talked about three categories of temptation. I'm just going to jump over these quickly. Apostle John talked about three categories of temptation that can easily draw us and keep us in a hypocritical place where our outer profession of faith does not match our inner possession of thoughts. That is where we mock God. First John chapter 2, verse 16. You ever want sin explained? This is sin explained right here for you. For everything in the world, in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Let me, uh, let me break these down for you in simple statements. Lust of the flesh is a disordered desire for pleasure. So gluttony, out of control, out of bounds, sexual activity. Substance abuse. Etc. Lust of the eyes. is a disordered desire for possessions. So theft, avarice, greed, covetousness, materialism in general. Getting what you don't have, keeping what you got. That's lust of the eyes. Pride of life. 
is a disordered desire for power, success, authority. Be the man. It's putting ourselves in the place of God by failing to recognize that he is God and we are not. Any sin, guys, stay with me. Any sin, thank you, any sin you can think of will have its origin in one of those three categories. And because pride was authored by Satan himself, the original sin, I will make myself like God, right? Pride. The first two literally stem from the third. And the most perplexing thing about choosing to live a life of lust and greed and pride is that we become slaves to shame and guilt. So the whole time you're living in your freedom, you're tying yourself up. Kind of self-sabotaging. When we live for no greater purpose than ourselves, no greater purpose than ourselves. We end up being controlled by the fears of failure and rejection. So now, okay. This is where we probably have to just, you know, buckle up just like a notch tighter. Can I suggest... And I suggest that it would be a good thing to sit down, maybe this afternoon, gather your thoughts, and have an open and honest conversation with yourself about which one of those three categories presents the greatest challenge to your integrity. Are you more vulnerable to one than the others? That's not uncommon. Is there one of those categories over which you've had significant victory, say, this year? good to take account. Paul's conversion, guys, as I'm moving toward the finish here, I promise. Paul's conversion saved him from the nasty three. Particularly the pride of life. He thought he was pretty good. He thought he was pretty above those Christians. He thought he knew more than God. The 
Paul's conversion saved him from the nasty three and his, his redemption, Paul's redemption, gives hope to us. You see it? Paul was one ugly sinner. So if you had to scroll through those three categories and you're going, just having to make a couple of adjustments here because it's quite uncomfortable. Paul was one ugly sinner and his story gives hope to us. The patience that Jesus allowed him. Because see, we believers, me, I put myself in the category, you guys. I'm not just talking at you. I'm in the category. We believers all too often become weary. In resisting temptation and sowing to please the Spirit and making good choices and standing up for the right things, right? The, uh, that, that full pendulum swing of Paul's story is for our benefit. I want you to hear it again. We have a slide for this little statement. The mercy of Jesus in Paul's life. The mercy of Jesus in Paul's life is an example for you and me. So take it personally. Take it personally. From a distance, uh, God had you and me with all of our stubborn, rebellious, mocking ways in view when he chose Paul and dramatically saved him by sovereign grace just the way he did. If you believe in Jesus for eternal life, and I trust you do, Or if you may not believe in him yet for eternal life, Paul's conversion is for your sake. The point of his conversion happening the way it did is to make Christ's incredible patience vivid for you. It was for those times, it was for those times when we treat life and relationships as, as nothing more than indulgences to gratify our own needs. It was for those times when we find ourselves ensconced high above the crowd on the throne of, of self. It was for those times when material things have flipped the script and now they in fact own us. For those times when we think our life has become helpless and hopeless. When we think God is angry with us. When we think we have drifted too far away. When we think God does not love us and would not want to save us. Then suddenly, unexpectedly, the breeze of the Holy Spirit begins to blow. And we find our self-indulgent, mocking hearts captured yet again. 
by the sovereign, overflowing grace of a Savior who cannot be mocked, but instead mercifully reveals our weakness and has prepared us to be whole. And even as the Holy Spirit assists us in curbing our worldly wanderings, he is simultaneously repositioning us. Guys, hear this part. Even as the Holy Spirit assists us in curbing our worldly wanderings, and he can and he does, he simultaneously repositions us just like he did with Paul. to do the good works that God has prepared for us since before we were born. And if he thinks that's not valid for you, look at this last scripture. Ephesians 2.10. For we, for we, the we is you guys. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For us to do. So, I leave you with this. Don't become weary in doing the personal portion of good that has been assigned to you. Hear that? Do not become weary in doing the personal portion of good that has been assigned to you. It wasn't just Paul who got an assignment. Because in God's perfect timing, your life will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest in righteousness if you do not give up. Amen. Stand with me. In a moment, I'm going to get Wes to just to help me up here. I want to sing this second. So I'm not going to call for any kind of specific prayer. I'm not going to call anybody to the front. I'm not going to do anything like that. But I'm going to call your hearts to attention. And as we sing this blessed assurance, like, I'll tell you what, I want blessed assurance. I don't want to be walking around thinking I'm doing this right. Well, for the most part, I have no mistakes full fart today. Come on. It better be bigger than that. Blessed assurance. So as we sing this together, you know, you heard me. You know what I said. I don't need to repeat myself. Category one, category two, category three, or category four, I just don't know Christ. We need blessed assurance. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.